0: Good morning. We want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church on a beautiful Lord's Day morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, If you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome. We're especially glad to have you join us for worship today. If you're joining us by live stream, welcome as well. And uh, we want you to know here at East LJ Baptist Church we have been captivated by Christ. Through the gospel we have seen God's glory in the face of Christ. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we've come to know the grace of God given to us freely in him. And we have been captivated by Jesus and the love that he has for us. We pray that today you would see the beauty of Jesus and that you would leave this place captivated by him as well. I want to ask you to join me in standing as we read from God's word this morning. John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus speaking says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another and how is it that Jesus has loved us John three sixteen says in this way God loved the world. He gave His own Son to die in our place uh, that we might, whoever believes in Him, might not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus laid down His life. Jesus, another place, says He did it voluntarily. No man took His life from Him. He gave His life for us that He might redeem us and pay the price for our sins and save us. And so Jesus said, In the same way I have loved you, love one another. Now, we can't save one another. Uh, I hope we'll never have to die for one another, but we are to lay down our lives and serve one another. We'll talk more about that this morning. And when the world looks at us as followers of Christ and sees that kind of love, Jesus said that's how they'll know by observation whose we are, that we are His. Aren't you thankful that you know the love of Christ, that you've been loved by Him, Uh, We want to pray this morning for um, our missionaries Scott and Jenny Phillips. They are with uh, Dow Ministries. They are minister among the Dow tribe in Indonesia. They uh, are right now, today, in the process of going back into the jungle there in Indonesia. We have just a brief video, uh, a thanks from them uh, as they head back into the jungle even today. So take just this is just about a two-minute video, so let's hear from them, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. You may be seated.
1: In the jungle, there's no stores, so we buy supplies in the city. Make a lot of friends along the way.
0: It might bite you. What do you think of that food, Lazarus? Pretty good, right? It's a uh, local potato off the fire. Miopo. mina.
1: We also get to see a lot of really cool animals. Is now expanding, so we've purchased this land to build a new center for the Dow kids. Thank you for praying for and supporting our family.
0: the Phillips family of, uh, they have seven kids, and they are right now headed back into the jungles of Indonesia, um, where they continue translation work of the scriptures and the building of the church there. So join me as we pray for the Phillips, the Dow people, and also some others that um, need, uh, need God's healing and comfort today. Father, thank you that you loved us, and the way you loved us and showed us your love is by giving your son to come live a perfect life in our place to go to the cross and bear in his own body our sins and bear the curse of your holy wrath against our sins for us to be buried and on the third day raised again for us to give us victory over death and hell thank you father that you have drawn us to yourself and Let us know of your love and given us faith in Jesus that we might experience your love and walk in it. And now, God, take that love to a a world that so desperately needs it. Lord, this morning we pray for the Tao people. Thank you for how you you have used Scott and Jenny to, to reach the Tao people and as you continue to use them to translate the Scriptures into their language. We pray for this trip as they... Uh, purchase property to build a, uh, a ministry center there, uh, translation station, and um, and we pray for their safety and health as they go into the jungle. Uh, even today, Lord, we pray also for a number of folks um, that need your healing. We pray for Tim Mosley this morning. Pray for Matthew Towns. We lift up McKenna Cook and Hannah Ferguson. Continue to pray for Katie Mayfield's mom. We pray for Donna Vorpal. Thank you that she's here with us today, and that she's recovering well. We pray for uh, Lord continuing prayers for Judy Williams, um, and for John, and just for encouragement and strength there. We pray for Sophia Deerwent and Tom Hart, uh, Pearl Franco and Clara Betka. And God, we ask comfort for pray for comfort for the family of Roy Price and uh, of the family of Frank Votreau. and family of Ben Champion, as well as the Brooks family. God, you know each of these situations inside and out, and we pray that even right now as you see and know each individual, uh, each each one that needs healing, each family member that's grieving, God, you are present there, and we pray that you would be to them what only you can be, Uh, the good and great shepherd, the great physician, the, the, the God of all comfort. Lord, thank you that you're in this place today. May Christ be exalted. May we find our soul's rest and satisfaction in him and in him alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship in song.
1: We're glad you joined us this morning. Let's sing together. We're going to sing You Are Holy. And ladies, for your part, if you get lost, watch Megan we're all singing something different at the same time just love it when we do that like uh...
0: every day and every moment of every day we need to come to the cross. Lord we are confident that when we trusted you on whatever day that was when you called us Lord that you saved us completely and yet every day our need is the same. Every day We need your grace in a fresh way. And I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Again, today we come to the cross. We come just as we are because there's no other way we can come. We thank you that you don't leave us the same, but you're at work in our lives, changing us little by little. But every day we come weak and needy and desperate. We come still struggling with sin. We come still struggling to trust you. And God, there at the cross we find all sufficient grace. And love and mercy and help. If it weren't for the cross. Where Jesus laid down his life. If it weren't for the resurrection three days later, we would have no hope, and yet in Christ and His finished work on the cross and through the resurrection, we have eternal certainty in Him. Living hope, and we praise You. We ask that You come now and be our teachers. We open Your Word. We pray that You would show us your wisdom, your design for your people that our lives and our lives together may glorify you. We are desperate for your help. We need your spirit to be our teacher. To give us eyes to see, to grant us repentance where it's needed, to give us The faith to trust you where it's needed. To strengthen us to simply obey you where it's needed. So come we ask and and do these things for us. For your name's sake we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll be dismissed to Children's Church this morning. And as they're making their way out. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We'll be there only briefly, and we're going to kind of be all over the place this morning, but that's where we'll be starting in just a few minutes. All across our world, says Dean Merrill, millions of troubled people are trying to find a way... To get through another night, another birthday, another season of life. And many are assuming that the church of Jesus Christ could care less. They think we're mad at them. They think we despise them. They think that they're no good and we've got a big, big black book to prove it. What they don't know is that the book actually says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That's what it tells us as believers. The Lord is near. And so I want to start with this question. From God's perspective, who are we, His church, to be? Philip Yancey, in his book, Church, Why Bother, says this, the body of Christ becomes an overarching new identity that breaks down barriers of race and nationality and gender and makes possible a community that exists nowhere else in the world. We are charged to live out a kind of alternative society before the eyes of the watching world. I want to talk to you this morning about the power of Christ-honoring community, the power of Christ-honoring community. And here's the truth that we're going to see from a number of passages in Scripture today. We are called to display the beauty of Christ to the world through Christ-honoring community. There's a way that we as the church are to be living together before the world that should show them the beauty of of Christ, take a look at this next little slide. Aren't you? Aren't you glad? I mean, this 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 would never be true of us. You probably can't read it. it. It's there's four people there. Our fellowship is just so sweet. I wish there were more people we could share it with. And there's a multitude on the other side of the window. Our four and no more. Never be true of anyone in this church. Amen. Okay. Well, that was. You at least said something that's good. I pray we don't ever have that mentality, and yet, how often have you seen it? How often have we been tempted to have that mentality? Acts chapter 2 verse forty two and that's the only verse we'll read from this chapter, but acts chapter two verse forty two it begins a section where the early church the and life in the early church is described uh, these are just this is just days after pentecost and 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 what God's spirit did in god's people, the way he moved them to live in the aftermath of Pentecost and the birth of the church. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, And they, the believers, Christ followers, those who had trusted Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And in that one verse, we have a great description of what the church is to be about. It's to be about the apostles' teaching. In other words, it's to be about this book, the Bible, where the apostles' teachings have been inscripturated, and we have God's Word, along with the Old Testament. This, this is the apostles' teaching to which we are to be devoted. And to the fellowship, which is where we'll spend our time this morning, to the breaking of bread, referring to communion and of and the prayers. And so uh, these are the things that are to characterize the life of the local church. These are to be the priorities of the local church. But right there in the middle it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The word here is koinonia. And it's a, it's a, it's a powerful word. It's a rich word. And, 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 and we need to understand what, what, what's really being said here. The, the, the word means communion by participation together. It's translated as community, or fellowship, as here, or partnership, or communion. Koinonia is a way of life produced by God among a group of people, between a group of people, that stands in stark contrast to the world that's only out for itself. It's a partnering in life together. It's a Christ-honoring Community. And so the question is, are you, am I devoted to this kind of fellowship? You know, we, we say sometimes we're going to have a fellowship meal. By the way, we hadn't had one in a while. If anybody wants to spearhead that, we're always about those, amen. I mean, we are Baptist, but we say we're going to have a fellowship meal. We talk about how after church we hang out in the hallway and we do what? We fellowship. I would just challenge you. I'm not sure we fellowship in the biblical sense of koinonia in either setting. Now, if you talk about the Lord at the table at a fellowship meal, then you fellowship. If you you share your life together in the hallway, something besides the weather or the ball game on Friday night or coming up this afternoon then you may fellowship in the hallway this afternoon. But, but understand, the koinonia being discussed here is much deeper. It's much more intense. It's much more Christ-honoring and Christ-centered, what we're called to and what the early church was about, than that. One pastor said the Christian life in any form of church that's worth holding on to is Communal. It focuses on others. But to take hold of this, we must let go of what we've held on to, the corporate commercial model for doing church. A major reason for the decline of Christianity in America is the fact that we have adopted, sanctified, and blessed as our own the corporate model for doing business, except in our case it's doing church. Churches have an addiction, an incessant drive to build spiritual Walmarts and shopping malls rather than what the New Testament teaches us, this organic, spirit-led fellowship or koinonia. Well, if we buy into the Scripture and decide we're going to tear down the spiritual Walmarts and, and get rid of the consumer mentality in church, what would that look like? What can our world expect to find in this true community, uh, this spirit-led koinonia? Philip Yancey says, God has chosen to dwell in ordinary, even ordinary people like you and me. Aren't you thankful for that? God now reveals himself through the mongrel collection that comprises my local church, and every other such gathering in God's name. Right up front, I want you to understand, there will never be a perfect church, right? One that does everything right. As Eugene Peterson says, the church is composed of equal parts mystery and mess. But Christ-honoring community can be had, and we are called. We are called to display the beauty of Christ to the world through Christ honoring community. I want you to see this morning from God's Word, Christ honoring, four things. Christ honoring community, as designed by God, will include the following four elements. Four elements of Christ honoring community. First of all, Christ honoring community will be Christ centered. Christ centered. We will be a community that above all things declares Jesus is Lord. There is no other way to God but Christ himself. We will say what Jesus said. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You remember Jesus' encounter with Peter there in Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I'll tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus told Peter and all his disciples, that is the unshakable foundation of the church. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only Messiah, the only Savior sent by God to save a world of sinners. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And on that foundation, Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus is the one who builds his church, amen? But he uses us to get that message of who he is out to those around us. In Romans 1 verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul was saying, I am obligated to preach the gospel because that gospel is what God uses. It's the dynamite power that God uses to explode sin-hardened hearts and, and change Hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that can see their need, uh, the, the reality of their sin, their need for a Savior, and the beauty of Christ and the sufficiency of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul said, because that's what the gospel is, I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God to save. I've got to tell it to the whole world. The Christian basis for community is the reconciling love of God in Christ. And that love transcends all differences. Our commonality in Jesus comes first. The issues that divide us come later. In Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus gives the Great Commission as Mark records it. And he said to his disciples just before he ascended to heaven, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel... To the whole creation. And so you see the first element of Christ honoring community is that we will be a Christ-centered community. We will stand on the gospel and we will have nothing to say but the gospel to the world who is in need of a Savior. We must, must be known. As a Christ-centered community that keeps the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ the main thing always. It's all about Him. We're called to display the beauty of Christ to the world through Christ-honoring community. And the first element of Christ-honoring community is to be Christ-centered. If people rub shoulders with us... You individually, people come through these doors and and worship with us here. If they join us in the Sunday school class, if they show up on Wednesday night, let me. There's one thing they need to hear before they leave. They need to hear who Jesus is. They don't need. They don't. They don't. I've got some first time visitors here today. You don't need. You don't need to know much about me. You don't need to hear anything that I think. You don't need to know who I am. You need Jesus. Secondly, Christ-honoring community will be a community of honest acceptance. So with Christ at the center, what, what do, what, what, what's going on in our relationships with one another that will attract and show the beauty of Jesus to a watching world? Christ-honoring community will be, secondly, a community of honest acceptance. Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, let's go back. What did Scripture tell us we were when we met Jesus? When Jesus came to you, when He drew you to Himself through the preaching of the gospel, the, the speaking of the gospel, maybe by your parents or through a friend or, or maybe through, even, even through a preacher, What did Scripture tell us we were when we met Jesus that day? Sinners who were falling way short of God's glory, Romans chapter 3. It says in Romans chapter 5 that we were enemies of God who were living in direct rebellion against Him. And yet, what happened that day? What happened when you met Jesus? Jesus opened his arms of welcome and love and grace and mercy and received you, didn't he? Paul says we're to accept one another with the same grace with which Jesus has accepted us. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Certainly this is within the body. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. It certainly applies there. So can I just ask you, uh, when when you come to church and you see your brothers and sisters in Christ, is this how you think about the interaction you are about to have and, and, and then go on to have? In Sunday school, in the hallway, in this room after we break up in a little while. Are you thinking, I'm to welcome Marcus as Christ welcomed me? I want Marcus to feel some Jesus love for me when I talk to him. Now that'll change the that'll change. I mean, I mean, hello. We ain't thought that way much lately, have we? I mean, just, just let be honest. When's the last time you thought like thought like I'm telling you, that'll change relationships. That'll change the unity of this church. That simple truth. The message translation translates that verse this way: Romans 15:7. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it, now you do it. So it should be between us. So it should be with our community. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul again says there of, of this unity, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Well, what is that, Paul? What does that look like? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called? Verse 2, with all humility. Here it is. This is what it means. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Is that how you interact with other believers in this local church? Is that how you Or thinking as you approach one another in the hallway or the parking lot with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. It's the only right way to behave and relate to one another. If we understand how Jesus has loved us and related to us and served us and welcomed us, we all want to be accepted. We all want to be welcomed just as we are. We just sang it. Not only by God, but by a community of people, don't we? And by the way, that's okay because that's part of God's design for the body of Christ. Satan will always counterfeit what God created, won't he? As you think about community and Christ-honoring community, the world offers all sorts of communities where to one degree or the other, people can be accepted and welcomed. But the body of Christ, the church, hear me, we may not always, but we can do it far better than any group in the world because we have the Spirit of Jesus who works in our hearts and unites our hearts and, and transforms our lives together. Have you ever had a member of your physical body reject another part and act as if it was superior to that part? I mean, have you ever been walking along one day and your arm says to your hand, not today, not supporting you today, I'm done with you, and your, and your hand just fall off on the floor? Now, there's somebody I uh, talked to this morning. I won't identify anybody. Somebody's dealing with gout this morning. I don't know, but I mean, that may feel like that, you know, that, that that foot or whatever, wherever you get gout, is rejected, been rejected. But, I mean, the body doesn't do that, right? Because of Jesus' gracious acceptance of us, we ought to delight in honestly accepting others just as they are. By the way... <laughs> Can, can, we, can we just talk? I mean, let's just, let's just get it right down to where we live. There are some of you, when you look at me, you realize just how weird and odd and, and hard to love I am, okay? <laughs> Hadn't had an amen all morning, but that got one. There you go. <laughs> well, that threw me off. All right, let's, get, <laughs> let's, let's regroup. I should have been expecting. I should have been completely prepared for that. Um, And and I'll give you that. But here's the deal. Before you you keep me at arm's length, the Bible is telling you. See, you didn't know I was going to turn this on you. The Bible is telling you to love me anyway. The way God loved you. And by the way, that's the point where you ought to begin thinking about who you are whether I know all about that or not, and, and, and you see how this goes. Who am I to withhold love from the weirdest among you? Who am I to, to withhold love and service from the hardest of people to love because I know God loved me? And let me tell you something, I know me way better than you think you know me. And I know that I don't deserve His grace. I know what I've done in an open and willful rebellion against his holy name. And see, the deal is you know that about you. And yet sometimes we just put that out of our minds. We forget about that and we, we struggle to love others. If we would remember that, we would, it would be a whole lot easier to love others. Amen? That's what we're called to do. With the influence of the Holy Spirit at work, Jesus wants us to provide a community where people can come and get real with each other and ultimately with God. You see, if local churches will be intentional about providing a community of honest acceptance, then many will come, and they'll be satisfied by Jesus' love and grace. They'll see something they want to be part of. They'll see, something, they'll see a love they want to experience, and they'll be drawn in to hear the message of the gospel by alone, by alone, which, alone by which they can be saved. Our attitude toward others ought to be, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're welcome here. Because my Savior loves you so much that He died for you. That ought to be our message to the world, to our community. We must intentionally work to make sure our world knows that they are welcome just as they are and that they'll be honestly accepted when they're around us all because of the love Jesus has for us. We're called to display the beauty of Christ to the world through Christ-honoring community. Christ-honoring community will be Christ-centered. And it'll also be a community of honest acceptance. Thirdly, it'll be a community of helpful dependence. Helpful dependence. Think service here. John 13, verse 12. They're there at the Last Supper, and Jesus is serving them. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And in that day, the washing of feet was a a task reserved for the lowest of household servants. After all, who wants to touch somebody else's nasty feet? And especially in a society when they sweated all the time in an arid climate and their feet were literally in sandals and dirty. I'm talking about real dirty. Think kids in the summertime out in the yard barefooted and think about those feet. But then put them on those grown-up nasty feet. And that's what they would wash. And Jesus said, If I knelt down and washed your feet was this kind of a servant to you then this is how you're to serve each other there's no service too low for you to give to a brother to a sister in Christ or to the world in 1st John 2 verse 6 John says whoever says he abides in him that is in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked uh, that's from foot washing to obedience to God, like the whole of his example, all all the ways that he taught us to live. We're to live if we say we have him, if we say we know Christ and we're to live the way he lives, and one of those key ways is serving others. We have the privilege of imitating Jesus by serving one another day by day, week in, week out. How are we doing? How are you doing? How helpfully dependent are we on each other? Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. You see, look, hear me. This is this, this thing we call the church, it's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's not a business. It's a family. Love one another with brotherly love. He is our Father, we are His children. I am your brother, you are my brothers and sisters. We are a family. This is a forever family. and Here's what that means. This, hear me, listen to me. This family connects us more deeply than blood connects us with our blood family. You say, how is that possible? Because you're, you and your blood family are not eternally connected by blood. You and I, if we are in Christ, we are forever family. Eternally, we will be brothers and sisters. Isn't that just wild? Isn't that mind-boggling? Love one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Get in a contest in the local church to try to outdo one another in honoring one another you don't get anything else in the message, here, here, here you go. I dare you. I dare you to do it this week. I dare you to try it this week. I dare you to pick one person and try to out-honor them this week. I dare you. You up to it? Let me tell you something. If everybody took that dare and we set ourselves to, to, to honor another person more than we would let that person ever honor us, it'd shake the place, I'm telling you. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. How are we to love one another? How are we to try to honor one another? Not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord ultimately. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. All this in our relationships. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That makes it real practical. We might have to give. To help a brother. It might cost us something. Some money. To meet a physical need of a brother. To show hospitality. Paul Ternier says there are two things that we cannot do alone. One is to be married and the other is to be a Christian. There's a whole, whole lot of people that think me and Jesus have got this. We don't need the local, I don't need the local church. Jesus has saved me. I don't need the local church. Here's the deal. Jesus caused us to be born again into a family called the church. The family of God. You can't be a Christian alone. We need each other. We have to have this community of helpful dependence. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 puts it this way, Paul again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, which is the way the world tells us to live. Which The church is even baptized at points it seems. We just let that go rampant. But in humility, rather, don't live selfishly after your own ambitions or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of. Of others, help one another, serve one another. I had a friend a few years ago, former pastor and itinerant evangelist. He became an alcoholic and went to rehab. He's been sober for several years now. The details of his story are complex, but his experience is frighteningly more common than we often realize. He spent six months in a Christian rehabilitation program, and God used the body of Christ that he found there in the Christian rehab to begin to heal his heart. He told me that it was there in the Christian rehab that he truly, for the first time, experienced what he had for so long taught and preached that the church should be. And yet he would never experienced that in the church. The body of Christ, the church, can be a place where we depend on each other as we all seek to walk closer with Jesus. It can be that. It's God's design, and God's given us all we need to make it that. He lives in each of us by His Spirit, and we are in His Spirit, united in Him. Now, we can choose not to enjoy that unity. We can choose not to fan the flame of that unity and that love. We can choose to live as islands. We can choose each to pursue all of our own ambitions and not really care what's going on with everybody else in the family. But the body of Christ, the church, can be a place where we depend on each other as we all seek to walk closer to Jesus. You see, we're on the same boat. We're all sinners who can't make it without Jesus. Amen? That should be louder. Amen? Amen. And as we live our lives together, we need each other to remind each other of that reality. We need Jesus. And then be there for one another for Jesus' sake. We could spend the afternoon going through the one-anothers of the New Testament. We're going through some of them. But we could spend the rest of the afternoon going through all the one-anothers of the New Testament. Hear what I'm trying to say to you. This is a big deal to God. Because over and over and over again, He says, Be kind to one another. Love one another. Honor one another. Forgive one another. We'll get to some of these. But one another, one another, one another. Why? Because we're family. And we're to do for each other what he's done for us. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's sin. You who are spiritual should restore him a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. That is the law of love. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself if you think you're better than everybody else in the church, if you think you've got it all figured out and everybody else is just a, a spiritual wreck, Paul says, you, you're nothing. You don't, know, you don't even know yourself. You're no different than everybody else, and they need you, you need them, we need each other. Here's the question in a lot of that passage. Are you close enough to anyone in the church to be able to talk to them about either their sin or yours? And the relationship then be a relationship that's helpful and strengthening in a difficult time. Are you close enough to anybody in this local church, the one you call home, the one who, for some, some of you, you've spent decades in this church. Are you close enough to anybody in this local church family that you could talk about your sin or theirs and it be fruitful on the other side. Not be a time where suddenly they walk away from you or suddenly where you are mocked or suddenly where whether you, it gets really awkward, but rather where you are loved and helped and encouraged or you give encouragement and help and love. We were just talking about this in Sunday school this morning. Those relationships are lacking. More on that later. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body are... Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. It's thinking of your physical body. Everything's connected and works together. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We're one. Verse 18 of that same chapter, But as it, as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We are part of one another in Christ, and we need one another. We're a family, but we're a body. You may be the eye, you may be the head, you may be the feet, you may be the hands. Whatever you are, you're needed. But no more than my head can say to my feet, I don't need you. I mean, think about that. You ever seen a head walk? How does my head get from here to the back of the church? It's, it, now granted, it, it tells my feet to take me back there, but my feet take me back there. And my ankles and my shins and my, le, my knees and my thighs and everything on, right on up, right? I mean, everything works together to move me. We're part of one another. We need each other. St. John of the Cross said, The virtuous soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter. I just wonder in our world, and even in our community, and even in this local church, I wonder how many coals that burned hot are now coal because you're not close enough to anybody in this church to talk about your real stuff with. You see, that's not follow me, that's not God's fault. God's made a way where Hot coals can stay with hot coals and stay hot. He's told us how to live in relationships so that that happens. Oh, it's all by His grace. It's all by His Spirit. And yet, in a way I don't fully understand, He uses me in your life and you in my life and you in one another's lives. The Holy Spirit uses you to help others and others to help you. We must continue to get to know each other so that we have real relationships where this kind of helpful dependence can be lived out. We're called to display the beauty of Christ to the world through Christ-honoring community. And Christ-honoring community will be a community of helpful dependence. But lastly this morning, Christ-honoring community will be a community of forgiving love. A community of forgiving love. We read these two verses earlier. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love for one another like the love I have for you. He laid down his life for us. And through his death, he he provided what for us? What did I say we need to be? A community of forgiving love? He provided forgiveness for us. And the one, listen, it was our sins that required the death of Christ. And yet when he died on the cross... He paid for our sins and forgave all of us, the very ones who are responsible for his having to hang on that cross. What did he say while still on the cross of the actual men who drove the nails into his hands and feet? What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, forgiving love is really is unique. It's unique to those of us who know Jesus because it is his forgiveness of us alone that gives reality to our forgiveness of others. Can I just go so far as to say, I don't believe true forgiveness between two people is even possible. Without the person doing the forgiving, having been forgiven by Jesus. What am I telling you? I don't believe unbelievers can truly, from the heart, actually and really forgive. It's a grace-empowered act. It is the ultimate act of love. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 is why I believe that. Where Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Can I just ask you, you, you ever been involved in any of that? Are you involved in any of that today with anybody in this church family? That is your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul said, let it be put away from you. And instead, verse 32, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Maybe you're thinking of this person and they've hurt you. They're here. They're just across the, the aisle from you and they, they've hurt you deeply. They, they wronged you. There's no question. They were wrong. And what they did to you was wrong. It hurt. And you read these words and you're thinking... Chad, be kind to that person. Are you kidding me? They cut me. They cut me deep. They betrayed me. Tender-hearted to them. My heart's not tender to them right now. And then the clincher, like straight up forgive them for what they've done? you got to be kidding me. You see, if it weren't for the last phrase in the verse, you're right. There's no way. There's no way. But Paul goes on, as God in Christ forgave you. Do you remember that? Do you remember the many, many sins you've committed against other people? Do you remember how many people you've hurt? Do you remember how many ways you have blasphemed the name of God? Do I remember in that moment how many times I have willfully... In the face of God Almighty, who is holy and who loves me, sinned anyway. Chosen to defy him and disobey him. And yet, he has forgiven me. Paul says that's how you forgive that person. The only thing that will tenderize your heart toward that person who's hurt you is the cross. The only person, the only only thing that will allow you to be kind to that person, to truly forgive that person, is the cross and the forgiveness God has given in Jesus. One pastor said, fellowship is a place of grace where mistakes aren't rubbed in, but rubbed out. It's bad if you come to church and you get the same stuff from people here that you get at the office. Somebody finds out about something you did and and they don't don't rub it out. They don't cover it with a blanket of love. Love covers a multitude of sins. They rub it in. And it ought not be that way. The koinonia of which we speak today, that we're called to today, is a place of grace where mistakes aren't rubbed in. But rubbed out. 1 John 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see, we must be a community full of forgiving love. Hear me. We are never more like Jesus than when we forgive someone who's wronged us. That is the epitome of living out the gospel. And the gospel is never made more attractive to those who need it most than when they, outside in our community, watch us forgiving someone who's wronged us. You see, we're called to display the beauty of Christ to the world through Christ-honoring community. Now, all that we've talked about this morning, each of these things, it's part of who Jesus is, is it not? So, if we will become this sort of community, then our world will see him, and then he'll draw folks to himself. His beauty will attract them to him, and by his grace, we can be this sort of community. I firmly believe that church, at its best, happens in smaller groups that are intentionally, as we looked at this morning, Christ-centered, full of honest acceptance, helpfully dependent on one another, and full of forgiving Love. And I believe that Sunday school classes are a great starting point to live all of this stuff out. I believe that every church member, I believe this with all my heart, every church member should be, if at all possible, in Sunday school. You say, Preacher, you're trying to make me feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to help you. And I firmly believe that, that the church is at its best in smaller groups than this. And and, and the reason I can tell you that is I was in Sunday school this morning. And we had a great time in Sunday school this morning. We were able to build one another up. It wasn't just me talking. It was the body being the body, the Spirit of God working uh, uh, between us uh, around the Word of God. And I came out of that room encouraged. Let me tell you, we were praying for Tim Mosley earlier. He got some fainting in the night. And so at 8 o'clock this morning, I get the call. He ain't going to be here. So, literally... I go in there with a Bible. I don't even know where they're going, what we're going to talk about. I literally had no idea what this class was studying. I said, hey, guys, where are we at? They said, here's where we're at. I said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read, the, we're going to read it, and we're going to see what it says. Well, you start reading the Bible, talking about it. The Spirit of God started working and, and building us up, encouraging us, strengthening us, changing us. That's Sunday school. And let me just tell you, it wasn't just that class. I I can tell you this. All of our Sunday school classes are amazing. And your family as a whole will be encouraged and taught God's Word. But especially I want to talk to you adults. Because I know how y'all are. See, what y'all do is you bring the kids and drop them off. You go to the Dunkin' or to the Starbucks and have breakfast. You know, Don't do that. Our adult classes are doing a great job in providing Christ-honoring community for one another. So I want to exhort you to get plugged into Sunday school. It's at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Be here at 9.45. There's one class that starts at 9.45. By the way, that'd be a great thing to do. It's everybody start at 9.45 so you've got more time in Sunday school, but by 10 o'clock. But I want to go further this morning as we wrap up. Sunday school is a great starting point, but I am more convinced than ever that we need more than Sunday school. Every one of us needs to be in a discipleship group. You say, Chad, what are you talking about when you say discipleship group? I'm just talking about a small group of three or four men or women. And so let me tell you how that works. If you're a man, I'm talking about a group of three or four men. If you're a woman, three or four women. Where we are regularly in the Word together, and we're meeting together to discuss the Word and to pray and to hold each other accountable in following Jesus, which is to obey God's Word. You mean run through that again, so you understand what I'm talking about? This is where you can't do that all that in Sunday school. You follow me? I told the Sunday school class this morning when well, I said, because somebody else in the class brought this up, and I said, well, hey, it's funny. I'm going to be talking about it in the sermon this morning, and and I said, here's the deal, you know, in a Sunday school class like this, mixed, you know, men and women, couples class, there's probably 25 people in this Sunday school class this morning, here's the thing, there's things I need to share with somebody, there's, there's, th- there's things I want people praying for me about, but I don't want all y'all in this 25 to know about those things, and I don't want us to have these big open conversations in a group like this. I, I need three or four men in my life that I can share things with and ask them to pray about things. I need them to ask me, very direct and pointed questions about my life and my obedience or the lack thereof to Jesus. And we all need that. And I just want to testify to you how God has used the men that I've been in such relationships, groups like this with over the last four to five years or so. He's used those men to challenge those groups and our times together to challenge, encourage and help me grow in Christ. When you think about Jesus and how he did ministry, Jesus had how many disciples? Huh? Twelve. If you think about the twelve disciples, think Sunday school class, okay? But Jesus had a discipleship group. He didn't call it that. He didn't name it. But Scripture tells us there were three men that were closer than the other nine. Peter, James, and John. He had an inner circle. He had a discipleship group with whom he was closer, and he spent more time and, and poured in more spiritual energy into their lives. He, he shared more truth and, 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 again, just spent more time in prayer and so forth with them. Now, to be clear, a discipleship group leader will never be Jesus. Any one of the Sunday school teachers will ever be Jesus but the point is that we all need a small, close group of brothers and sisters with whom we are open and vulnerable, committed to one another's spiritual growth. Now understand, this kind of close community requires personal initiative, humility, relentless commitment, and it points some hard work and some tough conversation. You see, the deal is with this kind of this level of, 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 of community, this closeness that I believe we all need, and I believe that Scripture calls us to. I don't believe we can do all the one another's in Scripture without that kind, these kinds of relationships. Hear me, you can't program that like you can Sunday school because individuals have to want that. They have to be willing to be vulnerable to, to other people at that level. And so it takes personal initiative, humility. Relentless commitment and at points hard work and tough conversations. The one thing the church did and every dynamic church generation since has done was live life together as the family of God. They knew each other. They loved each other. They took care of each other. And the best witness they had was their very existence. Little is more beautiful than a community of Christ followers who received the power Excuse me, who've rejected the power, the programming, and the devices that just lead to fatter professing Christians for the communion that's found in Jesus' words, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. So, several questions as we close. Who do you need to love this week? How? Do you need to love them? Was somebody absent from your Sunday school class this morning? Where were they? Is someone missing in our worship service right now that maybe you should check on? Is there someone you know you need to forgive or be forgiven by? Is there a specific need that you know about and that you can meet, You know about it, and you can meet it. Well, guess what? You know what that means? You know about it, and you can meet it? That means it's God's will that you meet it. Hello? It doesn't mean it's God's will that you just hope somebody else realizes what's going on over there. Who are three other men or women that you know at least well enough to ask about joining you in a discipleship group as we've described it this morning? Let me just say, if, if you're interested in that, if you're interested in, in, in facilitating a group, you don't, you don't really think you, you're a leader, but, but you're interested in, and you want to get that started, I can provide you with resources and connect you with some other folks that would want to be part of that. So see me about that. Today, I praise God, I know of five groups like this that are already thriving in our church. I could tell you great stories. Some of my greatest joy in the last year has been to watch God move in groups that guys I've, I've been in a group with, we've split up and they've started their own groups and I'm watching God work in the lives of, of those men and some of my greatest joy in the last year has been to watch God do that and their lives to be changed. By the way, if you want to hear some of their testimonies about how God's using their D group, just let me know, I'll put you in touch with them. They'll be glad to talk to you about it. Will you commit to pray? This is my simple question. Will you commit to pray about being involved in a D group? And if the Lord leads you, come tell me. I'll connect you with some other folks that I'm aware of that are likewise hungry for this sort of true community with other believers. You see, we as the body on many different levels are called to display the beauty of Christ to the world through Christ-honoring community. Let's pray. Lord, may we do that. May you enable us to so love one another. To get close enough to one another. That we can really, in practice, love and serve one another. In word and deed. Not just in talk. Not just across the sanctuary, feel love toward someone we never spend any time with or have any clue about what's going on in their lives. And so, Lord, work in us because Lord, you are worthy of the glory that can come from this church family through that kind, those kinds of loving relationships. And you are worthy of the glory that can be seen in the world by the lost who are near to us. Jesus said, by your love, they'll know you're my disciples. By your love, they'll be drawn to me. It's by our love that the gospel's adorned so that they can be prepared to hear the message of what Jesus has done. So, Lord, we pray you'd make it happen in our midst in a growing way. I thank you for our Sunday school teachers. I thank you for our Sunday school classes. I pray for each one that you continue to work and deepen those relationships and, and use that time of, of, of Bible study and prayer and sharing of life together to encourage. God, I pray you would multiply naturally and by the power of your Spirit the number of discipleship groups going on in our midst. Give us a hunger for That closeness and that accountability that so many of us have never, not even one time in in decades of walking with Jesus, we've never been held accountable by another believer. We've never known that level of commitment and love from another person or to another person in the body. And God, may it be true in a growing way here, for you are worthy and we desperately need it. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together as we close and worship. This altar is open for you to respond however the Lord is moving in your heart. You know, if you need to be made right with somebody, man, today would be the day. Amen? I mean, this message has been clear. We need, we need to forgive one another. Maybe you would be, just go ahead and determine before the Lord that, that you're going to approach some people about being in, in, a, in a discipleship group. Where you want to grow deeper in accountability and love and service to someone. Maybe you do that today. Whatever you need as we sing. Said. Amen, amen. Amen. You may be seated for just a moment. Just three announcements.